Let's, uh, let's turn in our Bibles this morning to uh, 2 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2, uh, looking at verses 4 to 11 this morning. I titled uh, this morning's message, The Coming Judgment of False Teachers. We're living in days, as I've been sharing, that are desperate days. Uh, they're days that uh, we should be as believers, heeding the warnings, the warning signs that are around us. Deception, false doctrines, uh, those are indicative of the last days that we're living in. We have at our disposal as Christians, we have the Word of God. Know your Bible and know it well and it'll give you a defense for those false doctrines, those heresies that are out there and going around. Know your Bible and know it well. Spend time in it. We also have God's Holy Spirit that lives and dwells inside of you that will lead you into truth as you remain dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of truth to you. He is the illuminator of God's word into your hearts. And so you can trust the Holy Spirit that he wants to lead you on the right track in the, in the right way. God's word, God's Holy Spirit, prayer, you put those together and you will stay faithful to the doctrines that we know as Christians. Last week, we looked at chapter two, verses one to three, and I have given a warning to each one of the three chapters. The warning for chapter 2 is false teachers and destructive doctrines. And we know that, as I shared also, that this whole chapter is devoted to warning the church. It's warning us against the false teachers that are out there and also the destructive doctrines and the destructive ways in which they lead people. And they're all around us. Some of you might be naive to that. And you might be naive to it because you know you don't venture out much beyond this. And that's okay. Because those that sometimes venture out a lot and get into a lot of different things, they find themselves becoming mixed up with a lot of the things that are out there. False Teaching, if I were to define it, is when someone claims something to be true or truthful, but it contradicts the Bible. That's what I would call false teaching. But then there are also false teachers. Now, false teachers, I would say, are those who profess to know truth but who deliberately teach lies in hopes of promoting themselves or getting financial gain from their followers. And there's a lot of that. Be careful, church. There are a lot of false teachers that are in our world. False Christ also that are in our world. Peter he first reminded the Christians that false prophets were among God's people. They're in our midst at times. 
And in times past, we know that Peter says there were false prophets. There were false prophets amongst God's people, just like there will be false teachers in our day today. And that started from Peter's day and looking forward into the church age. There will be false teachers and there will be more and more as that day approaches. We read and we read last week in Matthew 24 that the first thing that Jesus told his disciples to take heed to was that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And Jesus says this, and they will deceive many. Look at your world. Look at the various religions. Think of the 1,200 plus uh, cults and religious groups that are out there that are bringing bad doctrine to people, that people are being led away from the truth. There's many that are out there today. They will deceive many. Jesus says. One of the verses that has been ringing in my ear lately is out of Isaiah 520. It reads this. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see, the days that we're in right now, even the church, even the church that should not be getting caught off, they're getting confused as to what's right and what's wrong. Compromise coming within the body of Christ. People vacillating as to what we should reject or what we should bring into the church. They're things that really shouldn't be a question. If we know our Bibles, if we're looking to the Lord, if we desire to know the right way, it's here in God's Word. I was reading one article from Charisma Magazine. It had an article in there, The Seven Great Lies in the Church Today. It said this at the beginning of it, false teachings are running rampant within the American church. It's created a whiteout. A whiteout condition for millions of believers. Here's how to detect and overcome these destructive doctrines before it's too late. The first one that they listed in this was an overemphasis on prosperity health and wealth doctrines that are being pushed from the pulpits. Exaggerated view of God's grace. An unbalanced view of the grace of God. Antinomianism, a word which literally means against law. In practice, it means basically this, anything goes. And you see that within the church. There's a lot of compromise that is being allowed into the church today. What you see a lot in the many churches today is not what you would have seen even 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You go back. For, and so it's new things that are creeping in. 
It's also a gospel. Another one is the gospel is more about man than it is about God. Placing man at the center, really, of our Christianity, what we need, what we want, instead of exalting God of who He is. Also, the challenging of the authority of God's Word. The Bible is under attack today. And there are many even professing Christians and Christian organizations and churches that will question what we have in hand today can be fully trusted. Rejecting hell. A future punishment for the ungodly. You would think that that would not be hard to get messed up since Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. He's given descriptions of hell. Descriptions of a coming day of judgment. For those that would disbelieve. Universal reconciliation. Or we call it universal salvation. It teaches, and there are some that believe, groups that are out there, that in the end, All roads lead to God. Everyone's going to be saved. It's not what you see in your Bible, is it? It's not what we read. And so there's a list of seven things, and I would say this. There's many more you could add. Those are some of the big ones that are out there. And so let's start uh, reading in our Bibles this morning. Chapter 2, verse 1. Let's reread what we read last week. But there were also false prophets among the people, Peter says, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in, note this, destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves, note this, swift destruction. And many will follow and note this, their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Peter warned in these verses about false prophets and about false teachers that are among us. Peter warned about them coming in secretly with destructive heresies. And because of their destructive heresies, they will bring on themselves swift destruction. Another warning is many will follow their destructive ways. And because of their destructive ways, their judgment has not been idle. Their destruction does not slumber. Peter calls it for what it is. It would be good if every teacher and every pastor would call it for what it is. Why? Because it's destructive ways. 
It pulls people away from the truth. We're talking about the soul of a human being. Being lost, being deceived, being turned in a direction other than God. And God will hold every person that opens their mouth in the name of God at a higher standard accountable for what he would say. Peter, he wants to assure us in this chapter that false teachers will one day face judgment and destruction. I asked last week the question, how serious is God about sin? God's going to judge sin. We know that. God will judge sin. He must judge sin. It's not even a question of if he will. He must judge sin. Why? Because our God, the God that we read in the Bible, is a holy God. It's his number one attribute. God is holy. And out of his holiness comes righteousness. And righteousness is that standard by which God judges things. And it's always righteous judgment. There never will be a person that will stand before God and say, you know what, I'm being judged wrongly. Because all of God's righteous judgments are true. There won't be anyone that'll that'll get caught off guard. What God calls unrighteousness is unrighteousness. And what He calls righteous is righteous. In 1 John 3, 4, if you've ever wanted to know the answer to the question, what is sin? People define it in a lot of different ways. God says it in one way. He says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Anything that is falls short of His perfection, His holiness, God says is sin. We know that Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know in Romans 1.18, it tells us this. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then it says this about what some men will do. They will suppress the truth in unrighteousness. To suppress something means to push it away, to push it down. To put, you know, you tell me something that's true and I don't want it and I suppress it. I'm pushing it away. I don't want that. I don't believe that. You may believe it. I don't. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Understanding the rest of this chapter too is to understand that God will and must judge sin. He has to. We know that God judged Satan. We know that one third of the angels left their habitation in heaven and followed after Satan. And God cast them down to earth. 
And we know that some of them went into chains of darkness. God bound some of those angels in chains of darkness, Peter says. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 12. God judged Adam and Eve in the garden at the fall, at the temptation there in the garden. They sinned against God in Genesis 3. God judged the inhabitants of the earth for their sin when God flooded the earth and He destroyed every living creature in Genesis chapter 7. God judged and will judge Israel for their sin, their rejection of Him, their rebellion. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25 and in Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 and 27. The judgment at Calvary when the Father judged the Son there on the cross. He did that for our sin. And the Father judged the Son. The, the, the judgment that was due us, He took it upon Himself. God will one day judge the nations in this world. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 25. God will judge all believers someday at the Bema seat of Christ. You say, well, I didn't think I was going to stand before the judgment seat. You will still stand because all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The only difference is one is the Bema seat the Greek word for judgment. The other one is the great white throne judgment. That is for unbelievers. But you and I, even as believers, we will be judged. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. God will judge those who reject Him and the salvation that He has offered to them at the great white throne judgment. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15. You see, God will judge sin. He must judge sin. Why? Because He's a holy God. He's a righteous and holy God. So how is man set free from God's judgment and condemnation? We're told that John 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 17, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. Do you believe in Him? Then you're not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. We're seeing that even greater and greater in our world today. As evil progresses, as things grow darker and darker, we will either stand as a bright light in this evil world, this dark world, or you're going to be diminished in light as you go out into this world. You're either going to shrink back or you're going to make a stand for righteousness in your own life as a Christian. The enemy wants us to shrink back 
He wants us to retreat, to just be one of those hidden Christians. Here's a verse that we should all have to heart. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who, walk, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation. No judgment to hell. God doesn't have, see you as being condemned to hell. Even in your failures. Even in your shortcomings. We don't stand under the condemnation of God. If you feel condemned in your relationship with the Lord, that doesn't come from the Lord. God doesn't bring condemnation upon you. He brings conviction upon believers. And those are two different things. Peter says... These false teachers will be judged. They'll be judged just like the angels who sinned. And they were judged. Look at your Bibles at verse 4. For if God did not spare, or some translations read, for if God did not forbear the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell. And that word hell is, by definition, the abode of the wicked. And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Do you see what Peter is saying after verse 1 to 3, talking about false prophets and false teachers? And then he's wanting them to understand that these false teachers are also going to be judged because God did not even spare the angels. God must judge sin. It appears from this verse that even some of these fallen angels that had sinned that were cast down, they were put in chains of darkness and they're there to this day awaiting the final judgment day. When will, where will they end up? After the chains of darkness, they're going to be cast along with Satan, along with the false prophet. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Angels have no ability for redemption. Angels, Satan and angels, have already been judged. They already are awaiting that judgment day. Remember when Jesus sent out the 70 disciples to be witnesses for him in Luke chapter 10? In verse 17, it says that the 70, upon returning to Jesus, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus responded to them and he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And, you know, Jesus, Jesus was revealing these things to his disciples as he went along. As he was discipling them and training them, he was teaching them, teaching them these things. We don't know the exact timing that Satan fell in Scripture. But what we do know is that Satan was one of God's most Beautiful angels of his creation. And then he rebelled. Obviously he had a will. Obviously he had the ability to choose like all of the other 
created angels of God. One third, we're told, of the angels in heaven. I don't know how big that number is, but I know there's a lot. One third left that habitation with God and rebelled also, and they too were cast out of heaven. Ezekiel 28, 14. It says this of Satan, who was once known as Lucifer. He was the anointed cherubim in heaven who covers. It says, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Remember, angels are created beings by God. But it says this, till iniquity was found in you. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, we read this. Oh, or how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. That's his angelic name. The son of morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, speaking about Lucifer, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mound of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. The sin of Lucifer. The sin of one third of the angels that left their habitation. Satan wanting to be like the Most High God. What's interesting is you have teachers today that want to lift themselves up into a position that they should never stand in. Getting people to look to them. Wanting to be, in a sense, like, you know, bring the attention. Instead of focusing on God and who He is, they want to bring it to self. It's that sinful nature. And Peter says that because God did not spare the angels who sinned, and He judged them and He delivered them into chains of darkness, he says he's not going to let those false teachers escape either. I shared with you last week about reading the book of Jude. It's just one chapter. The whole chapter is committed to us contending for the faith. Speaking against the false teachers that are out there and the judgment that is awaiting them. We read in Jude chapter uh, Jude one four. It says, "For certain men have crept in unnoticed." Sounds like what Peter's saying, doesn't it? Who long ago they were marked out for their condemnation. P, uh, Jude says they're ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness. Remember one of those seven sins that are running around in the church today getting the grace of God out of balance, taking the grace of God for granted, allowing us to do and live a lifestyle and do these things. And you know what? And God forget, you know, that's taking God's grace for granted. They were turning the grace of God into lewdness. And they denied the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, 
though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. Look what he says. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. And as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Do you get any stronger than that? I mean, that should make any individual that would read that and believe that sit up and take notice and go, whoa, that's what it should do in our own hearts. God will, God must judge sin. We go on in verse 5, and Peter says, and he did not spare the ancient world. But save Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Again, he says he did not even spare the angel. He didn't spare angels. He did not spare the ancient world. That world before the cross. That world when the world was lying in wickedness. God judged the ancient world because of sin. He judged the ancient world because of the wickedness of man growing great. We read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. When I read that, I say, we're getting there if we're not already there. We're getting there if we're not already there. And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth. And He was grieved in His heart. Can you imagine that? God being sorry of His beautiful creation that He had even made man. That He was sorry in His heart. God was grieved by the sin of man. Every thought of his heart was only evil continually. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man, beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah, oh, this stands out. You better have this one highlighted in your Bible. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How much does God love an individual soul? How much did He love those eight souls that entered into that ark and got on board? God loves you. God loves a life. And somebody that, and a false teacher that would turn away one soul from Him, God despises Jesus, He brings these days up in answer to the disciples' question about the signs of His coming in Matthew 24. He says the same words 
looking ahead. The disciples wanted to know the timing of His return. When are you going to come back? And Jesus said, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You see, there's a good indicator. Look at your world. As in the days of Noah, what did it look like in the days of Noah? So will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will become, will, will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus says, this is what you look for. As in the days of Noah, that second coming of Jesus Christ will be as in the days of Noah, when their every thought and imagination was continually evil. You look at the, the problems that we face today in our culture today that are even coming into the church. The, the issue of homosexuality, the issue of, of abortion, the, all of these things that even within the church, there's a compromise. Peter's warning. Peter adds another time here in verse 6. He says, in turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. <laughs> wow, judging angels and judging the whole world with a flood and, and bringing down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And then it says condemning them to destruction. Making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly. That should grab attention. That should grab our attention. We read in, in Genesis 18.20. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And because their sin is very grave. And I'll add this. God says, I must judge. I must. Because I'm a holy God. Because I'm righteous in my judgments. And I must judge this sin. Remember that conversation that Abraham had where you kill and uh, wipe out this whole city if there's even 50 here. And, you know, he gets down to like 10 and he keeps asking God this question. And God is revealing something about His mercy and His very nature to Abraham. That God is merciful towards those who know Him, to those who have received Him. God is very merciful towards us. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. A warning sign. Something, I mean, wouldn't the flood be a warning sign? <laughs> the whole world flooded, destroyed, Sodom and Gomorrah 
I mean, even to this day, they, they believe they may have found the location, but, but completely wiped out these cities because of their sin. God judged the angels who sinned. God judged, judged the ancient world who sinned. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. Peter says, ungodly men, false teachers who bring in destructive heresies, who cause others to follow their destructive ways, have no reason to think that they can escape God's judgment. This coming judgment upon this world and upon all those that would be used to, to draw a person away from Christ, that judgment is certain. Jesus said this to his disciples one day in Matthew 18, 1. He said this to illustrate and to warn his disciples about being a stumbling block to those who are young to those we might say are young in their faith. He says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Remember that little conversation that they wanted to have? And Jesus called a little child to himself. He set him in the midst of all of them. Jesus with his child and disciples round about. And he said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child that was probably sitting there on Jesus' lap is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this is my, in my name receives me. The disciples wanted to get the children away. They're bothering the master. And Jesus says, suffer not the children to come unto me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. But then look what he says in verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. And he were drowned in the depths of the sea. You know what a millstone is, don't you? Maybe you've seen them. Big chunk of rock made into a, a honing wheel with a big hole in the middle of it. And they, you know, to be used to sharpen things on. It, 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 you know, have one of those hung around your neck and cast into the sea. How serious is God about sin and about those that would turn a little one in their faith away from him? He says so right here. Peter already told us how the Lord delivered righteous Noah. Notice he calls him righteous Noah. He saved Noah, one of eight preachers of righteousness. And now he shows us that the Lord also knew how to deliver righteous Lot. He calls him righteous Lot. Even though Lot was living in these cities that were full of sin. 
That's where he made his mistake. He didn't take the steps to remove himself from the place that he was in. But God was still merciful towards Lot. He called him righteous Lot. He wants us to know that God knows how to deliver, how to deliver the righteous. That, that should be, a, that should be a, something good to our ears. God knows how to deliver the righteous. He knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. God knows how. That's what's important to know. There's no temptation that has overtaken you, but such is common demand. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to, to be tempted above that which you are able. But with that temptation is able to make a way of escape that you are able to endure. God knows how. Verse 7. And delivered righteous Lot. Who was oppressed by filthy conduct of the wicked. Note that. That righteous Lot, though he lived in those cities, was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. You ever feel that? The world we're living in. All the ungodly stuff that's going on around us at any given moment. For that righteous man dwelling among them, he was tor it tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. He was tormented in his soul. I, I think we should be also seeing our world, seeing what's going on around us. Or do we just kind of fit in with it all? We're okay with it all. Or does it, in a sense, torment our soul to even see the ungodliness that goes on around us in our nation, in our world? Then the Lord, verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God is going to deal with both. He's going to deliver the just. He's going to deliver the righteous. There's coming a day that I believe that God is going to remove His church. He's going to deliver us from the wrath to come. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But He also has reserved a day for the unjust and the punishment that will come upon them in that day of judgment. We can be certain that God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Be certain of that. Be confident of that. That God holds you. You're a child of God. He loves you. His hand's upon you. He knows how to deliver the righteous. Those that are His. To the faithful church in Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10, Jesus said this, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I will keep you from that hour. 
You're not appointed under wrath. You're not appointed unto that day of judgment of ungodly men. But also know with certainty that God will, God must judge the ungodly. We read in John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. When the Bible says that the wrath of God abides on him, they are standing already under the wrath of God. It's not just something future that's going to come, but they are already standing under the wrath of God. Even in their ignorance, they stand under the wrath of God. False teachers. They sometimes appear to, uh, to go unnoticed. In other words, that God just continues to let these ministries even flourish to great numbers, masses of people, lots of money coming into them. It appears that they go unnoticed, untouched by God. They're destructive ways. They're destructive doctrines. Will one day be judged. They don't go unnoticed. God eventually does and will bring it to light. As He will all unrighteousness. God saw the wickedness of the ungodly in Sodom and Gomorrah. But God was also able to see the righteous soul of one man lot. Isn't that incredible? He could see all of that wickedness. And he can see through that darkness and see one soul that is righteous. We're told that the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, that it tormented Lot's righteous soul day by day. You see, if, if you are wanting to live a righteous and holy and live a life for the Lord, the things that go on around you, the unjust, the ungodly things, the wicked things, the things that are in our world, they will torment your soul. You'll hate to see what you see. Or at least we should. It should bother our soul. But even as Lot's soul was tormented by the sin around him day by day, he still failed to take action. To take any kind of godly action. To separate himself and his family from the ungodliness of the cities. You see, we're called to take action. We're called to, 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 to see these things, uh, the, to, to see the things that we even might be falling to, and to take action. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, then cut it off. That's a way of saying take action. 
do what it takes to get away from it. But even though the Lord delivered righteous Lot, even though He was delivered from the judgment that came down upon those cities, He delivered him, but He also suffered loss. Great loss. That great loss could have been avoided if he never would have made his way and moved into the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, we do reap even as Christians what we sow. The reaping process for sin. God doesn't say, you know, hey, you're one of my children. You know, I get, I get my children passes. I let them, you know, I, I'll let them do those things and because I'm gracious and, toward, you know, we still reap. What we saw. God doesn't blink at it. He doesn't let it go by. And there's always the process where it seems like there's no penalty. Nothing's happening to me because of it. And then all of a sudden one day the hammer dropped. We go, whoa, Lord, you got my attention. Paul writing to a compromising church in Corinth. He said this in 2 Corinthians 6.14 He warns you and I also with these words. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, Christians. In other words, don't associate or involve yourself or marry into or get in such a relationship with unbelievers that it will draw you away from me. He says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, a name for Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, Christians. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will, shall be my people. Therefore, Christians, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. For the temple of the living God. We're to be different. Come out from amongst them and be separate, saith the Lord. Peter then gives a description of these ungodly teachers in verses 10 to 11. He says in verse 10, And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and they despise authority. That's a teacher of God. That's a quote teacher of God. That they would walk according to their flesh. In the lust of uncleanness. And they would despise authority. And he goes on to say they're presumptuous. They're self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. 
dignitaries, excuse me, whereas angels, listen to this, whereas angels who are greater in power and might than them do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. It's pride. Peter says these five things characterize these ungodly teachers. They walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. You see, a godly teacher, a godly, a man of God, walks according to the Spirit. He's controlled and he's empowered by the Spirit of God. When you have a Jehovah's Witness come to your door, a Mormon, or any other cult or religion out there that does not have the Spirit of God in them, there's a difference. There should be a difference. Peter says these false teachers, that they walk and they minister really just to fulfill their own fleshly lusts. It's why I got into the ministry. It's why I'm here. I, I, I love it when people look to me. It gives me opportunity. And they take advantage of it. False teachers ministry to fulfill their own fleshly lusts of uncleanness, which includes, by the way, Perverse sexual sins. Whoa. From that church? From that pastor? From that teacher? I belong to a website that I get a lot of updates. Sadly to say, there's a lot of stuff going on in the church, and I won't get into all the details. Perverse sexual sins. People falling to sexual immorality that stand behind a pulpit. Peter calls it the lust of uncleanness. Lives that are contaminated, we could say, by sexual sin. Listen to what Jude says. In verse 8, likewise also these dreamers, he calls them, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. The second thing Peter says is they despise authority, these false teachers. You see, the godly teacher respects those in authority, they don't advocate rebellion. They, they don't say, hey, church body, hey, this is getting terrible out here. I want you to rise up. I want you to go out against these government and their authorities that are out there. But let me say this. There are some that are. The ungodly teacher hurls insults at those in authority. We're seeing, and because we have social media today, I don't advise it, but on social media and those of you that are on it, 
You probably have seen it. You've seen some of the, quote, teachers or pastors or people that are of some religious sort hurling accusations against those in authority. Rising up, saying we need to make a voice against those in authority. Instead of praying for those that are in authority. They're presumptuous, which means they are shameless. They're irreverent. And they're daring. I want you to think about this. They're daring. In their proud and arrogant state, they're daring. Is what the word means. Do you know that it's a popular thing in some churches? Not all. But there are some churches that it's popular to be a cussing pastor. To put out a few words, cuss words from the pulpit. Why would they do that? Because I'm going to be more relevant to you. I'll be more relevant if I throw out a few words that'll just grab. Wow, did he just say that? But I kind of like it. He's being raw. He's being real. The cursing pastor becoming popular in some churches. The beer church. I looked up one. The beer church. We believe that everyone is already a member of the church. Universal. And is just not aware of it as yet. The church of beer will ordain anyone who asks. Without question of faith for life without a fee. Just select. You can do it online I guess. Be ordained. To complete the process right here on the website. The church has two tenets, the absolute right of freedom of religion and to do that which is right and anything else which within the law is allowed. That's what they stand for. This is a couple things. There's a lot more. There's one guy years ago, I, I won't even mention his name, he would leave his church on Sunday in a limo and he would have multiple women in bikinis getting into his limo as he drove away. On TV! You're kidding me! And they won't stand before God with that? You see, the godly pastor teacher seeks to follow Christ, not the flesh. Peter says they're self-willed. But the godly pastor teacher is not self-willed. He's God-willed. I want what God's will is for me, for this church. They're not afraid to speak of dignitaries. And the word dignitaries here is speaking of spiritual powers in relationship to Satan and demons. 
They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Peter says in verse 11 of this chapter, whereas angels who are greater in power and might, they themselves do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. In other words, even as a a man of God, as a teacher, I realize that even angels, even Satan himself, demonic forces, they're more powerful. The Lord rebuke you. It's not me. I don't have any strength to overcome Satan and all the demonic forces out there. Even the angel, even Michael the archangel himself, we read in Jude 9, it says, Yet Michael the archangel contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, he dared not. This is Michael the archangel. He dared not bring a, uh, against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. These false teachers not being afraid of speaking evil of dignitaries. Those are the things that Peter brought out. The things that we should be looking for. What can we take away from this chapter this morning? What would we take away from this? I said it in the beginning. Know your Bible and know it very well. Stay connected to those things that whatever you're reading, make sure what you're reading is good. Make sure what you're listening to is good. Spend more time in the Bible than in a bunch of other Christian books even. Know your word. Stay in in the Bible. Know God through His word. And I will tell you, you'll be able to detect. That's not right. Nope. That's not in the Bible. No, show me where that's in the Bible. No, I've never seen that before. Don't buy into every new thing that is coming along. There's a lot out there. And if you, it'll, it'll become confusing to you. Just stick to the Word of God. Trust in the Holy Spirit. And He will lead you into all truth. Next week, we're going to look at the depravity of false teachers and their destructive ways. Peter is going to give us a list of their sinful practices. He's going to tell us about their deceptive ways and the drawing of people to themselves. And lastly, the danger of falling away and following after false teachers. And so let's have uh, the worship team come up and uh, close us in, in worship. If you're here this morning and you're in need of prayer, uh, please come up afterwards. Uh, There'll be somebody up here that'll pray with you. Uh, Just know that when you come, we call this, uh, at least the Bible calls it this, the house of prayer. We call this the house of prayer also because it's where God's people gather. And when we gather, we're gathering in the Lord's name. When we gather, we're gathering here because we're saying, you know what, God, you're the one we need. We don't need anything else here. We really need you. And how we enter into that is we do it in prayer. We do it through his word. We're here together. We're encouraging. And so take advantage. As Kyle was talking about that prayer link, take advantage of praying for one another.
Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, that, uh, Lord, I know that I'm convinced in my heart that what people need is they need the Word of God. These are your words to us. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced that the only thing that I can really give the people in this church is the Word of God. I'm convinced that if they learn the Word of God and hold to the Word of God and don't deviate from the Word of God, Lord, that they won't get off track, that they'll see the counterfeits, they'll know when things are not right, that they'll be good Bereans of the the Word of God. They'll search the Scriptures daily to see if the things that they're hearing are right. And Lord, we just commit, Lord, this day to You. This night as we gather in small groups, Lord, that you would just bless our time of fellowship, Lord. Cause us as believers to make a stand in these days that we're living for their truly evil. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.